the docket for today's episode, we'll be discussing the First Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, and the Doctrine of Incorporation. We'll also be looking at the case of Gitlow v. New York and what it means for you on today's episode of the CivLed Podcast, starting right now. your rights under the First Amendment and what the courts have done with those rights over the years. I'm your host, Arch Grieve, and I'm glad to be with you today as we look into how the First Amendment actually became not only a protection from the federal government, but from the states as well. And to do this, we're going to have to briefly recap the history of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So let's get started. Now, the Constitution was actually written in 1787 and passed by Congress in that same year. Uh, it was not ratified, however, until 1788 by the nine, state, nine states necessary for it to go into effect. And at that point, it became the supreme law of the land for the United States of America. But before the Constitution existed, the United States were actually under the authority of the Articles of Confederation, which were much weaker in terms of ensuring compliance from the states because really states who didn't like things that the national government did simply opted out of doing them, especially things like paying taxes. And it's kind of analogous to the current situation or problem that the United Nations has, or that the United Nations has rather, in ensuring compliance with those the policies that it passes and that people who don't, or rather the countries who don't like those policies simply refuse to do them. Uh, the United States for a long time refused to pay its uh, its membership dues and uh, things like that. So, I mean, lots of the states or countries who sign on to the United Nations aren't really able to be enforced very well in terms of complying with the UN policy. And, and that's kind of the same situation that we had until the passage of uh, the, the U.S. Constitution. And what the Constitution did in terms of authority was it flipped the triangle upside down, or rather it kind of righted the triangle in that there were lots of states who really had their sovereignty was primarily above that of the federal or national government, and it kind of flipped that triangle on its head, and so now you have a federal government who has precedence over the states, the state governments. So it has final authority now in terms of enforcing uh, the laws that are passed um, nationally, and, and so they, they kind of have the final authority on all those matters. Now, this was a hard sell to some of the states, particularly because they didn't want to give up those that sovereignty to some centralized government that was potentially far from their home state, particularly after fighting a war for independence from another far-off government. And so, in order to sell this form of government, people like Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay or the authors of the Federalist Papers came with, or they came up with certain rights and freedoms that individuals and states would have with relation to the federal government, and these were passed after ratification of the Constitution, and collectively they became known as the Bill of Rights, or our first ten amendments. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read to you the first amendment that um, is that was passed under. Uh, under the Constitution, and this is our the first um, amendment in the Bill of Rights.
words, and it, it reads as following. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So there's a lot of stuff that's uh, packed into that First Amendment there. But if you'll notice, what it says is that Congress shall make no law. And the Congress that it's, that it's speaking about is the United States Congress, or the federal government. What it doesn't say anything about, however, is what state governments may do. And in fact, the Supreme Court ruled um, pretty early on in the nation's history that these amendments actually only apply to the federal government. And in other words, it was a curb on federal power, not state power. And the First Amendment really didn't apply to individuals in terms of, of their relation to their state governments until quite a bit later, um, and that's what we're going to be discussing uh, today. Now, what, the, what happened was the 14th Amendment, uh, which was passed in the aftermath of the Civil War, is what actually gives us the right, um, or rather it, it recognizes our First Amendment rights in relation to the state governments as well as the federal government, um, and it, it does that in kind of a roundabout way that um, is still ongoing in terms of uh, being established um, in the Supreme Court. And what the 14th Amendment was, it, it was written in response uh, to the attempts by the defeated Confederate states to deny newly freed black citizens certain rights in what were known as um, the Black Codes. And these were laws that were meant to um, uh, infringe upon the civil liberties of uh, the newly freed black citizens who were formerly slaves. And they, they tried to really uh, curb what they were able to do in terms of, uh, of, of lots of things that um, normal uh, citizens of the states were, were allowed to do every day. They, they basically circumvented um, the, the 13th Amendment, which freed all slaves, and they, they were able to keep them uh, largely oppressed. And so the 14th Amendment was passed um, as a way to clamp down on this, uh, uh, this development in the South. And I'm going to go ahead and read to you the 14th Amendment. Uh, so we can so we can actually see what it what it says, and I'm only going to actually read the first section because it's a pretty long amendment, and for our purposes, the first section is what um, what we're really going to be talking about, and it reads as following: All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny it to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, over time, what happened was the court began to gradually incorporate certain rights through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And I'll go ahead and read that again for the, the Due Process part, is that, nor, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Um, and so what happened was um, people began to ask, well, what 
can't the state take away from me? And, uh, and how can they do that? And the Supreme Court gradually started to incorporate certain amendments um, that are actually in the Bill of Rights. And they said, well, those things right here. Um, and the Due Process Clause served as a, a gateway into incorporating all of these other uh, rights that were guaranteed for you um, through the Constitution uh, in terms of guards against uh, the federal government. Now there are also uh, checks against your state government. And so now the state government uh, may not infringe upon those rights uh, without a compelling state interest, which we'll, we'll be discussing uh, in a later podcast. But your First Amendment rights are guaranteed to you via the 14th Amendment Due Process Clause. And um, the case that's actually responsible for this is often viewed as uh, being the case of Gitlow v. New York. And that's the case that we're going to, the first case that we're going to be looking at. And so let's go ahead and look at that right now. So Gitlow v. New York is an important case because it's the first one where we really see the doctrine of incorporation actually uh, take effect. And it's surrounding an issue um, of the issue of free speech. And the facts of the case uh, were as following. Gitlow was a socialist who was arrested because he was handing out copies of a left-wing manifesto which called for the establishment of socialism through things like strikes and um, overthrow of the government. And we'll get into whether or not he was really advocating violence in the, uh, in the future when we're actually looking at this case in terms of its uh, First Amendment um, uh, issues. But what we're actually discussing is that Gitlow was um, arrested for violating a state law. And what he claimed was that, that we're violating his First Amendment rights. Now, as we've been discussing, First Amendment rights only protected us from the federal government up to this point, not the state government. And so this is part of a, a long uh, a slew of cases dealing with First Amendment and what you're actually allowed to say that's actually protected speech under the First Amendment as opposed to uh, unprotected speech, which and it's dealing with uh, the clear and present danger test that the court came up with where uh, famously they said that you can't just yell uh, fire in a crowded theater because that, that's a clear and present danger. Even though it's speech, it's not the kind that's protected by the First Amendment and it's not the, the kind of speech that the First Amendment's really talking about. And so this is part of that case history, but it's important for us because um, for the first time the court says that, yeah, the states have to, um, you know, they they have to provide due process in terms of taking away one of your fundamental rights um, because of due process that's afforded to you by the 14th Amendment clause, um, due process clause. And so for the first time, we have the Supreme Court saying that the states must live up to uh, this First Amendment as well as the federal government. And um, that's the reason that it's so important because it's kind of the camel's nose under the tent in terms of the doctrine of incorporation. And what we're going to see uh, throughout uh, this podcast is that the Supreme Court gradually incorporates uh, other aspects of the First Amendment. And it's not just the First Amendment. The Supreme Court incorporates um, a lot of the other amendments. Um, there's a few that haven't been incorporated up until this point. Um, but the majority of, first of, or of uh, your Bill of Rights have been incorporated 
in this same way, where the court says that it's a liberty that's um, protected by the Constitution and that the states must follow due process uh, whenever they, they want to take those liberties away from you. And the burden of proof is on the state in showing that um, it's something that must be, uh, must be limited. And incidentally, in this case, the state did win, but, um, and, and the, they won because the, the court said that this was dangerous speech because it advocated the overthrow of the government. And therefore, the state had a compelling interest in limiting that speech, but that's um, not really uh, important to our purposes. Um, what we need to know from this is that because of this amendment, the first, or because of this case, the First Amendment was applied not only uh, to us in protection of from the federal government, but also from the states. That's all for this episode of the CivLib Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll come back next time where we'll actually be getting into the First Amendment, and we're going to be looking at the Establishment of Religion Clause, and particularly talking about state aid to religion. We're going to look at the case that kind of sets the precedent for that, and that case is Lemon v. Kurtzman, and this gives us the test for whether or not uh, the governmental aid to religion is actually constitutional. So it'll be a lot of fun, and I hope you'll come back and listen to that episode. And before you leave, I'd like to leave you with another quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin this time. They who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye-bye for now.